Have you seen me dice bag? The Grognard Files. Hello, my name is Dirty Dice, and this is the Grognard Files podcast, where we talk bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day and today. I'm coming live from my den here in the heart of the northwest of England. I'm completely and utterly surrounded by my stuff. New stuff. New stuff from the 90s. They said it would never happen, but here we are. The Grognard Files were slowly exploring a new decade. Slowly. Here on my right is the Great Library of RPGs and my Grognard Files. There's a new stack gathering at the side of my chair but I can still manage to do a three-point turn on my chair with a bit of jiggling. Here on my left is the ridiculous homemade shrine to the actor Caroline Monroe. I'll, uh, I'll just give it a tap. Ah, yes, the eternal champion has appeared as Carla, the witch from Captain Cronus, Vampire Hunter. As you'll discover during this podcast, our resident rules lawyer, Blythe, is currently playing her role in a series of adventures run by armchair adventurer Eddie. We're travelling through time and space, episode by episode, on the hunt for vampires. Eddie is using the open quest derived rules, Renaissance. It's opened our eyes to a new genre that we've not really experienced in gaming previously, urban fantasy. Unlike other episodes where we are reflective about the games we used to play and returning to them, in this one you can join us as we're on the cusp of starting to play it, learning more about it, working out what we like about it and which direction to go as we play more. Liminal was first published in 2019 on the back of a successful Kickstarter by its creator Paul Michener. It's the game set in a modern world about the people who are caught between the ordinary and the extraordinary. If you've listened to the previous episodes of the Grognard Files, where members of the Grog Squad have talked about their first, last and everything when it comes to gaming, Liminal appeared as the last and everything for a number of people. It has a particular appeal to UK gamers as it uses British folklore in the context of the modern United Kingdom. It also uses contributors who are familiar from the UK gaming scene. Guy Milner, Becky Anderson, Neil Gow, Richard August, Sue Savage, Paul Budowski and many others. And the artwork by Jason Beneke is fabulous and creates the mood of the setting perfectly. Join me and Blythe as we tentatively work our way through the game in the room of role-playing rambling. We hope it captures your imagination like it's caught ours. Dr Mitch, the creator of the game, is also here, talking about his influences and some key hooks to generating your own liminal case files. We've got a bit of closing time chatter about other games that we're preparing and I'll be back at the end with some thanks and notices. Until then... Ramblers, let's get rambling. Speed rating. Welcome to the room of role-playing rambling. I've got Blythe with me. Hello there, Blythe. Hello, Dirk. And we're back in the works kitchen again. All clear. So if you can hear some gurgling in the background, don't worry, it's just the employees. It's, uh, it's not the boiler. Why not? The boiler's broken. What's it's broken yesterday. I, I, don't, I don't know why, it just stopped working. Uh, but a man came and uh, we need a new boiler. It's a, it's a sealed unit, he said, and it just needs, it needs replacing. And it goes to show, doesn't it, a role-play and real life don't really overlap. If it's a role-playing game, he said, what's your, I don't know, mechanic skill or boiler maintenance skill? Or if, if, you play, if you play Side World, there is actually a plumbing skill. There is a plumbing, yeah, but, it, but it's none of those things. It's admin. It's an admin skill because he just orders a new one. <laughs> and all his tools and everything said, oh, no, you just need a new one. They have disrepair this kitchen. Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's a draw front. Yeah, the draw front's missing. The boil is broken. Mm. These conditions we have to work in. Yeah. This is a speed rating, which means that we're going to look at a game for an intense half an hour. Concentrate yeah. on one particular game. And uh, that game is going to be Liminal, which we've only 
just started playing recently, haven't we? It's a game that's been around, but not played. Before. Yeah, it's been around and much, much talked about, hasn't it? And we've we've only just got around to playing it. Cutting edge, cutting edge podcast. You know, obviously, we're a nostalgia-based podcast. I was trying to go back and think, were there any equivalents to this kind of stuff back in the 80s, back in the day? Certainly there wasn't anything that we played. No, and I, I, I think this is, yeah, it's an interesting question, that, isn't it? Because, it's, what would you describe it? Urban fantasy? It's urban fantasy, isn't it, Limit? So it's yeah. set in the, the real world, the modern world, effectively. And yet it's the thing of there are vampires and wolves and ghosts and the fae and all these kind of things in, in existence, secretly in existence in the world. So that's a common thing in quite a lot of games now, isn't it? But back in the 80s, I'm not sure. Call of Cthulhu doesn't count because that's a, that's a different kind of yeah. feel to it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because it's quite precise in its... Mm genre elements isn't it and i was then thinking maybe in the entire genre fiction it only emerged in the 90s yeah i I think it emerged when we stopped reading that kind of thing i I mean we read a lot of science fiction and fantasy in the 80s and then we start we moved on to other types of fiction didn't we probably that urban fantasy emerged didn't it we We'd start so it ne- never quite connected with us, did it? No. I mean, Mythago Wood, I remember reading. Yeah, that that's, a, yeah that's a similar, yeah. But I think this is more about, it's more in the same vicinity as things like Vampire the Masquerade and yeah. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. This idea that the monst- monsters walk amongst us yeah. and they're having their own conflicts. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, worlds within worlds kind of thing. Yeah. Well, it kind of limited because it's a hidden world, isn't it? So it's this hidden world. And I suppose as well, in liminal, and in a lot of these urban fantasy things, you can be a magician as well, can't you? So yeah. you can be one of these, to a point, depending on the type of game you're playing, but you can be one of these hidden people as well, can't you? Yeah. Which, again, is a bit different from Mythago Wood. But there are games like that now, and... You know, people might not realise it, but this, there's a theme running. Yeah. We've covered Monster of the Week yeah, in a yeah. previous speed yeah. rating. We've covered Vasa. 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 Yeah, I can never remember. And Liminal is part of that yeah. type of uh, game. Is- and I must admit, I have a confession to make with the Liminal because I, up until now, I've always ignored it a bit because I've thought, well, I've got Monster of the Week and I've got this. Why do I need another game like that? Yeah. So I've always sort of, although people say it's very good, I always kind of never really looked beyond the cover. I did play it a couple of years ago. Sue Savage ran a game for, I think it was the Good Friends of Jackson Elias Convention. I was mm-hmm. online. And I did enjoy it. I enjoyed it. But I've never really looked at it because I thought, well, I've got some of my things... That said, having, having looked at it now, I do think it's very, very good. It, it's excellent. And it is a bit different from those games. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's, you know. Oh, well, I remember picking it up at uh, UK Games Expo a few years ago. And that's exactly what you said. Well, it's Monster of the Week, isn't it? Is but it's it not, is it? It's not. It's not really. Because Monster, Monster of the Week is very, a bit pulpit. And it's very much... And, and it's a, a monster week. It's kind of very American, I think. It's an American game, and it has an American feel to it, doesn't it? It has like a TV show feel to it. That's the whole point, isn't it? That yeah. It's like, it is more like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, whereas Liminal is very British yes. in its approach. Um, it's a bit more subtle, I suppose, than Monster of the Week. Yeah, and that subtlety is something that struck me running the game, and, you know, we'll perhaps talk a bit more about this uh, later on, but... I, I didn't, I, I, when I first played it, because we did it in two sessions, one shot club in two sessions. Yeah. And the first time I thought, is it too subtle for me? Because I quite enjoy the lurid nature and vividness of Monster of the Week. But yeah. this is dialed down a lot. It's a lot more parochial, like you say, it is very British. Yes. And it, the way that the monsters or the fair or the hidden reveal themselves is a lot subtler. Yeah. 
I would agree. And I think the other thing that put me off it a bit, and this isn't the game's fault, is the idea of getting into another setting and another world and the effort that that takes. So we've played a lot of games, got a lot of games on our shelves, and sometimes I look at a game and think, so this, I thought, it's this liminal thing. Is, is it like a setting with, with all sorts of history and bits and pieces that I'm going to have to get in my head around? A, a bit like the experience I had with Cult. I bought Cult yeah. because I played Cult against you, Savage Run Cult. And I really enjoyed playing it. But when I got the rules, the background is just, oh, you just you think, oh, I haven't got the time for this. I have not got the time for it. But what's really good about Liminal is it's very concise and compact, isn't it? Yes. It tells you what you need to know to run the game and you can get on with it. It's packaged, and this is going to sound strange, it's packaged like a game. Yeah. It is a game. But some games and some settings of games are not packaged like that. It's like they're written by frustrated novelists. Yes. Who are giving you all this guff that it repels me a bit from the game. It makes me think, oh, I can't be bothered with this. You know, I've got a time for it. Yeah. Because when you read this and it's present and representing the uh, different factions, of the Order of St. Bede or Council of Merlin, it is only giving you bits that are going to be relevant to when you. Yeah, to the so game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, 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 and similarly, it talks about some of the cities or locations in the UK. And it is inspiring because it mm. pointing to some of the folklore that is from that area and how you might kind of bring that into a game. Yeah. Like I say, it's not getting too carried away with telling you loads and loads of stories. No, it's about. not got a, a, a 50 page chapter on the history of the vampires or the history of the werewolves in Britain or the history of the Order of St. Bede or that kind of thing. It doesn't go on and on and on. It just gives you a paragraph or two and you read the paragraph and you think, oh yeah, okay, I get that. I get what these guys are up to. I get that. I'll go with that and I can build some, I can build an adventure around it. Yeah. And that's, that's, Re- a really good thing, actually. More of that kind of thing in games, I think. Yeah. More of it. And the other thing that it does as well with the factions is give you an NPC mm-hmm. who is part of that faction. So you've got an idea. you already got somebody yeah. that the players can hook into or get yeah. introduced to that. Yeah. Um, but that, but that thought, before I looked at the rule, that thought that it was going to be another long, rambling history of the hidden world in Britain, the factions and this and that, like some games do. Yeah. It put me off it. I just thought, no, I can't. I, I've got the headspace to deal with another setting. I've got another settings in my head. I've got the Third Imperium, Glorantha, the, the Weird West. I've got all this stuff in my head. I can't. There's no other time. But I, I, I do think that, Part of it is because it is a genre that probably unfamiliar to me. It's not. It's not one that I would go out of my way. I've I've read one of the uh, Rivers of London books. I didn't particularly get on with it, mm-hmm. and I don't really read that urban fantasy, urban horror stuff. Yeah, I saw a lot of it when we got into back into gaming like Dresden Files and um, Vampire the Masquerade, and I'm not. I, I, I think part of the, the subtlety of it is I don't have the cliches to use or to pull out of my hat when we're playing because they're unfamiliar to me. Whereas if it's Monster of the Week, they are very familiar to me. It's interesting that, isn't it? It's almost like a, a hidden element of gaming, isn't it? That if you are familiar with the cliches and the style of it, you can get into it. So it's like going back to something like the Weird West for Deadlands. Because we know all, you know all about Westerns. You just latch into it immediately, immediately easy to run. Whereas you're right, urban fantasy stuff is something we're not familiar with and therefore does feel you're a few steps removed from it almost. And yes. Connecting with it feels a bit, a bit more difficult maybe than yeah. other genres that you are familiar with. The way into it for me and the reason why I picked it up off my shelf, it being there for quite some time, is really down to uh, Eddie and we've been playing face to face and he's been running a Captain Kronos series of uh, mm. adventures and they've, it's vampire hunting, isn't it? It's yeah. vampire yeah, yeah, hunting. Yeah. Yeah. You're playing Carla, 
Caroline Monroe. Caroline Monroe. I mean, how that works, I don't know. I mean, that's it. It's a bit weird to begin with. And I, but it's a role playing game, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's not. I'm not. But I'm not Caroline Monroe. I, know. I mean, I know. I you know you possibly wish I were. Was you wish you recorded recorded that, this with Caroline Monroe instead of me? That's the difficulty I have with it when we're playing. <laughs> I'm and I'm Captain Kronos. Grosh, the uh, companion. He's like an alchemist, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, he's a man of Yeah. It's been good because those cliches have been there because he's transported. We were started off in medieval uh, England. Then we were in 70s England, transported to yeah, yeah. 70s Yeah, time-travelling vampire to start with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then last time we were in Victorian mm. England. He's really brought it to life and really bringing out the hammer horror stuff of it. Yeah, and I suppose we kind of, we've engaged with it through those cliches as well because you know the film and you know the characters through the film and therefore you connect with it. And that's what attracted me to getting Liminal down because it is that world, it yeah. is that sense. It gave me a way of appreciating, as you say, the Englishness is very much part of it, isn't it? And that a bit of gothic... And a bit of that sense of hauntology, mm. which is um, you know, that's that's something that's emerged over the last uh, few yeah. years, isn't it? That idea that the countryside or urban areas, the the spaces in between, yeah, may yeah. have stories to tell. And, yeah, and yeah. quite an appealing concept as well. An appealing concept, and as, as we said earlier, different from Montreux, different from Vase, and similar, but it is still. Notably different, I think. Yeah, and that's what's quite appealing about it. So we've we've run it. You've run it. I played it uh, a few times. You've run it. Yeah. So I, I think we should turn the tables. Given that you've run it, what what are the three things you like about Lebanon? Right, the three things I like about it. So first one is mechanical element, which is the use of will. So I'm going to talk about that. Yeah. Um, sorry, sorry. I, we're not doing it right. I have to repeat, don't I? Yeah. You, so what? What is the first thing? Will it's so will. the first thing's will. Yes. First thing's will. Yeah. That's we'll make a good host of you. Yeah. <laughs> the second one is the factions. The second one is factions. 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 Yes. That's the second one, everyone. Factions. Okay. Make a note of it. Make a note. Yeah. The next one is the crew. The crew. The crew. Right? Third one is the crew. Okay. Go okay. on then. Will. So, well. so, Will, I mean, the mechanics, if anybody's unfamiliar with the mechanics, if you've ever played Traveller, then that's liminal, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's 2d6, target number of eight, modified by skills, by skills and, and bits and pieces here, there, you know, but you've, like, you've, got, you've got things like traits, haven't you, that can give you bonuses yeah. and stuff like that, but it's similar. It's not, it's not quite, uh, that's interesting, people say it's Traveller, but it's not. It has enough differences, actually, in it. Yes. To make it, it is different. It's just that, I suppose it just has that core mechanic of eight or more on 2d6 plus a skill modifier. But outside of that, it is quite different from Traveller, isn't it? You know, it yeah. does have different things in it. But but it's a relatively simple system. Yeah, definitely. And but and then you mentioned about the traits. So traits are like the edges, aren't they? So all characters have the edges. Yeah, yeah. And there are archetypes as well, character archetypes that you can yeah. pick from. As you mentioned, you can play one of the hidden or magicians. And the way that you get your benefits is through these traits because they are mechanical yeah. as well as descriptors. Mm. There's one element of it is will. And the will is function a bit like luck. But there's a bit yeah. more to it, isn't it? You can add it to a roll after you've rolled to um, change the result from a failure to a success. But it's also, as we discovered when we were playing it, it is a key resource because yeah. some of the traits are activated by will. And in fact, because you're quite capable characters and competent, I mean, that was one thing that was revealed to us, wasn't it, when we were playing? Yeah, that. my character was a... a scene of crime investigator but she had a, a good melee skill and she had a think of fight on which meant you could soak damage with a will so she got she, she went after a vampire didn't she with a stake and she came with a crop on the vampires hit back quite badly but she managed to soak the damage using will because that's one of her traits but that's i remarked to you didn't i mean kind of quite reasonably competent and quite tough which is good in that kind of game because you can fight a vampire 
Yes. You know, yeah. with a reasonable amount of confidence. But, and I think will allows you to do that. Yeah. But it's also a key resource. And more than hit points, probably, it, 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 you will running out is going to be yeah. uh, an important factor in the game, isn't it? It's going to affect your decisions. Yeah. 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 Going forward. Yeah. yeah it's just, and I, that's what that's where it is different from Traveller. Cause even though when we play Traveller, I often use the look mechanic, but the look mechanic works, works a bit differently from Will. Uh, so it isn't, it, I suppose that's where it's fundamentally different from Traveller, isn't it? That you've got that resource that you can, and, and the traits are different from Traveller as well. Yes. You don't really have traits in Traveller. So it gives you those extra bits and pieces to work with and argument what's going on. Yeah. argument roles and that kind of thing. You can refresh the um, will points during play yeah. by uh, activating your drive. I suppose we found that was a bit awkward in some places, didn't we? So yeah. some characters have a drive that is easy to... Yeah, some characters have a drive that's easy to build in, say, well, I'm acting on my drive, therefore I get some will back, and others quite convoluted. Because my drive was to collect... She was obsessed with collecting vampire teeth. And so my drive was to collect vampire teeth. But I could, I could build that in, get some will back to refresh my will. It was easy because we were hunting vampires. So I could just say, well, we're hunting vampires. So I'm acting on my drive all yeah. the time. Yeah. Was, if it had been different, it might not be quite. Yeah, quite some, some of the others were more situationally yeah. um, located. So yeah. they, you know, they had to be in a particular position yeah, yeah. before they yeah. could do it. Otherwise, make a convoluted situation yeah. to uh, yeah. refresh it. But yeah, I think uh, Will brings a lot to the game. Yeah. And really that is, even though you've got the core resolution mechanic, that is the bit that is on the table that's going up and down. And, yeah, yeah. And that, that's what you're keeping your eye on, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, during it. So the second thing is factions. 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 So as, as you said, you know, when you, when you first face this, and we're about to play Vampire the Masquerade, and that is built up on factions, and that looks really, really complicated. Clans, isn't it? Clans, Clans yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting that I, I read, I looked at Liminal this week, and I looked at Vampire the Masquerade, or Vampire of the Masquerade, as we call it. Yeah. Similar kind of things, but very different, packaged very differently as games. As I said, Liminal, quite accessible, easy, into it, read it in a night, and thought, yeah, I know, I know what to do with this. I know how this works. I could, I could do some stuff with this. But <laughs> the masquerade was like, oh wow, yeah, looking out. There's a lot, there's a lot going on here, and a lot of history I love to learn about vampires and clans. The way that they're structured, as we mentioned before, they are inspiring. So they ground it in um, British history, but as you read it you start to think, oh, yeah, I can make this work. So far, we played the quick start, which I, I ran. And I really want to, I've got this idea based on uh, Stranger Times of having this um, a series scenario set in uh, Manchester because it's somewhere I'm familiar with, but also because you can introduce some of those uh, factions and give them a bit of a local flavour. So uh, I think it is the bedrock upon what makes liminal, liminal. And there's some really good advice in the Games Master section about to uh, construct liminal scenarios, yeah. which yeah, people yeah. are familiar from about Monster of the Week and, and uh, Vason does the same thing, doesn't it, about to construct yeah. it. But it's very good, it's very good advice yeah. and how to bring those uh, factions in. Good, good practical advice, like I said earlier, the, the idea that it, it's a game to be played. So the final thing is cruise. Cruise, yeah. Not Tom. Not Tom. No. No. It's a bit shorter than that, if that's possible. <laughs> it's a... Uh, hey! <laughs> cruise, and uh, we're familiar from things like Blades in the Dark, and it is a concept that's come in, as it, over the last um, five years or so, yeah. of having some mechanical benefits around the actual group of PCs giving not only them some motivation, so this is what they do. So, for example, Stranger Times, which you heard about, having a, a newspaper. Yeah. And the players can create that and they can have some benefits as well. So they can choose from a, a pick list yeah. of what uh, the benefits of the crew is. And it gives that, and, and, and that can develop as, as, the, as the adventures go along. Gives it that focus in a game where... You could have a real mix of archetypes of 
characters, yeah. but it gives them a thematic yeah. reason to be together. And it's interesting, isn't it, how a, a, lot, a lot of games do that now because it tries to avoid that problem of, well, well what the hell are we investigating this for? Yes. Why are we doing this? You know, why are we all together doing this? Yeah. What's the point? What's to keep us together? What's to keep us together? And why would we all be all these disparate people with different skills and different backgrounds all be together? You know, I mean, Vesson does it with the side, doesn't it? The idea that you're special and you've, you end up living in this castle. And other men does similar, not quite the same as that, but just a similar thing that it tries to construct an idea of why you're all together. Yeah. And why are you doing what you're doing? And to get past that problem of slightly boring problem that always crops up, well, what are we doing this for? Yeah, well, it's a game, get on with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think that, uh, that crew uh, works really well. So uh, they're the strong points. So what, what do you not like about it? Uh, we have to do that, don't we? Yeah, yeah. What's the, what's the one thing you don't like? Right, so the one thing that I don't like about it, well, it has the benefit of having a very simple system. Yeah. Which we've mentioned, roll over. Eight on uh, 2d6. But we did find a couple of occasions, didn't we, where we needed some spot rules to deal with certain situations. Like, for example, if you've got a telescopic stake and you want to put it through a vampire's heart, yeah. how do you deal with that? Yeah, there was that. That, that, was, that was true. That You'd think there'd be a spot rule for staking a vampire in a fight because really that's what you're trying to do, isn't it? There's yeah. no point. You're not really going to stab one with a piece of wood. You want to get it through the heart. So how do you deal with it? It does have some. It does have a kind of advantage-disadvantage rule, I think, where... You, you get plus two for advantage and minus two for um, disadvantage. So, and it gives a few examples of things. It doesn't give staking through the heart, but it, it gives a few examples, like if you're on higher ground and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I suppose you could have used those modifiers. You could you say, well, if it's called shot, I'm going to give you minus two and I'm going to give them plus two on the opposed roll thing. Yeah. You could do that, but it doesn't, you're right, it doesn't specify. Yeah. It's always a strange thing, isn't it, with games that do that? Because you get games that go to one extreme where they specify everything. Yeah. Everything's laid down to the point where you think, well, I can't go with this because it's just too many rules. But then the other extreme where it's kind of rules light, you do get those situations where you think, what, what do I do yeah. with this? And, and I suppose more problematic, it's not so bad coming up with a, a rule or an interpretation of the rules on the hoof if it's a one-off situation. I suppose it's more problematic where it's something that might happen a lot. So staking a vampire through the heart in a game where you're a vampire hunter will happen a lot, won't it? Yeah. That will yeah. happen a lot. So you've got to be careful about how you house rule it because if you house rule it wrong, we've all done this, haven't we? You house rule it in the first game and then by the third or fourth game you start thinking, I wish I hadn't house ruled it like that because it's too easy. Or yeah. too difficult. So yes. I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah it, 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 you can do it. The game allows you to do all sorts of things because it is quite simple and, and those modifiers can... I just think that it's sometimes when you're doing those adjudications of pluses and minuses, they're a bit clumsy in a way. And you sometimes want a little bit more, don't you? I, don't, I wondered whether introducing the idea of Boone and Bane dice that from traveling you know the idea of just having an extra yeah, advantage yeah. dice yeah. or disadvantage dice so you take yeah. the lowest result or the highest result depending yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. on what it was yeah might work more effectively but they're always they're always say so they're always a bit tricky those things even the boon and bane in um traveler if you, if you decide to house rule it as well if you're doing that i'll always get i'll always give you a boon or i'll always give you a bane if you do that and then they do that a lot yeah. You're then tied into it, aren't you, where you go, oh, well, I haven't made that decision yeah. now because I've, I've given them a boon for doing whatever it is, this particular thing. And now they do that all the time and they get a boon and it's too easy for them. Yeah. You know, so that can be the problem with house ruling things, making yeah. the wrong judgment early on. And before we sign off, what are the, I, I, now, you, now you've read it, you've played it a couple yeah, of yeah. times. Yeah. We always have a monster off, don't we? So what, what, do you like to face in the, in this way? If I'm div- devising a scenario, what are the monsters? Well, vampires are always good, aren't they, to yeah. fight? I'm, I'm definitely a vampire hunter. This is the problem with Vampire the Masquerade, you know. We're, we're going to be playing that soon, aren't we? We're going to be playing vampires. I don't know. Yeah. I'm more of a vampire hunter than a vampire, you know. I think, yeah, I think vamp- vampires are great, aren't they? 
Yeah. Classic monster. They won, they won, didn't they win our monster off on the, the ultimate monster off? Yeah. Episodes and episodes ago. I'm sure the vampire came top. I'm sure yeah. he did. It wasn't top, it was, like, it was near the top. I quite like the idea of introducing werewolves, mm. but having, particularly in Manchester, of having um, some alternatives. It's actually a supplement that deals with uh, werewolves because I've not had enough werewolves in my game. Ghosts as well. Ghosts, Ghosts yeah. are always under, I think, undervalued a bit, aren't they? You, you, yeah. I don't know, in role-playing games, you always think a ghost, you think, oh, yeah, all right. Because I know Vason has a few scenarios with ghosts in, and I always overlook them a bit and think, this is a ghost, though, isn't it? It's not like a monster. Yeah. But when, but whenever you watch movies or read books that have ghosts, you think, it's quite good ghosts, aren't they? Yeah. You know, and Liminup does have ghosts in, doesn't it? Yeah. So maybe ghosts rather than vampires. Maybe yeah. got a ghost is a thing to include. It's been quite good. Um, discovering this game because it is a new game to us, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. I'm looking forward to playing more of it. And it's it's been quite a good experience discovering it. Going from it's quite a heartening experience because I've gone from thinking I don't think it's for me. I think it's a bit like other games, and I'm not sure I can be bothered or I've got the headspace to learn a whole new setting. And yet, playing it and looking at it and reading it, all those things are not true. Yeah, it is different from other games it's accessible and i do want to play it and i do want to run it as well yeah so that is kind of heartening that you can still find a game that excites you even though we've got loads of games we've played loads of games we've talked yeah. about loads of games and i think uh, you know i mentioned that uh, eddie's game gave me a way into it and the vampire hunting mm. but as well i watched uh, recently because i didn't see it when it came out again it was in the 90s yeah. it was that um ultraviolet mm. which is really the same thing, the P division in uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vampire Hunters in the British Police. Um, so that really helped me get into it. I'm looking forward to getting into some of the subtleties of yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. It is, it is a kind of gateway because it's so well together and well explained. It feels like a kind of gateway into that sort of stuff. Right, we're going to have a brew before we go because mm-hmm. yeah. we have to use a kettle. We have to use a kettle, boilers, knacker. A sealed unit. Sealed, sealed unit. Make an admin roll. There you go. <laughs> Eight or more. Open box. Welcome to the Zoom of Roleplaying Rambling. This time I'm joined by the raconteur, virtual pub landlord, maths guru, uke player and games designer, and RPG polymath, Dr. Paul Mitchner. Hello there, Dr. Mitch. Hello there, Dr. Lovely to be here. So being on the pod Grognard files, I feel like I've finally made it. It's great to have you on. And I'm hoping that the Zoom of role-playing rambling is a bit like a, a doctor's consulting room today because I'm I'm consulting you on RPG matters. I mean, my, my rates are modest £20 an hour, so, you know, it's not too bad. And my questions are not about maths. They're about your game, Liminal, because I've started playing the game. I just want to, your help in getting into it. So I've, I've had a first session and I just could do with your help in just getting into it, just understanding where it's come from. So if any if people are listening who don't don't know the game, what's what's the pitch? It's modern day fantasy set in the UK. So it's a UK where magicians are real, where werewolves, vampires, fairies, the whole shabbat, ghosts, that sort of thing. It's all real. It's hidden. Most people either don't know about it or ignore it. You're caught up. You do know about it and you can't ignore it. It's as simple as that, isn't it? People know, you know, know these enough bits and pieces of folklore. And if you like popular culture folklore, to just grab onto it and grab onto these ideas and things form. There's a village, there's people regularly making sacrifices to the fairies. They've stopped and now the fairies want their revenge. You get that immediate pitch you could set in any village. Or, you know, vampires lurking around nightclubs, preying on the population. They've grabbed someone who maybe they managed to get away and now you've been alerted to it. Yeah, again, easy pitches, easy things to grab hold on to. Yeah, and I've recently re-listened to a podcast that we did, episode two, um, where we talked about Call of Cthulhu and that ability when scenarios are close to home they give an extra edge to them you can you can do an edge you can even play sort of set it in the recent past and play with recent history so for example the thing you did with knights black agents and the miners strike you mm. know that's inspired because everyone can latch onto that and get 
sort of has views and thinks about it or maybe at least anyone in a northern british town thinks about it right of our age yeah i think you're right i think that type of thing setting it in somewhere familiar is really handy it makes it whether it's local to you or not i mean the other thing is a lot of the playing of this i did a lot of playing when it was first out and of course that was over the covid period it meant we could get a group of people together role-playing going down the pub uh, so where did it come from? Where did the idea come from for Mimino? Uh Initially, I think it's a case of I wanted something. It changed from this. I was thinking I wanted something UK-centred in this sort of, if you like, monster hunting genre. And it became something a bit more gentle than that, in a sense. You know, we're not necessarily hunting monsters. I suppose the other thing was, again, lots of system ideas I was dabbling with, because I was thinking what would be a nice simple system to power that with a sort of broad range of things but still broad and not but not universal so that was the system engine and the final push came when at work i was on strike for three weeks meaning i wasn't getting paid for three weeks and that gave me the kick to finish it off and put it on kickstarter so yeah basically i did it for the money <laughs> it's interesting you said that about tone and the subtlety to it, because that was what surprised me. I must admit that we didn't go to the game because we were already playing Monster of the Week. And we thought, yeah. well, it's, isn't it similar to that? It's several shades, several tones lighter, isn't it? I mean, Monster of the Week is a great game. Yeah, I, was, I, I, I certainly ran that before I was even thinking of Liminal. But yeah, I think it's, it's almost deliberately something different there going for this sort of different range of fantasy, sort of urban fantasy, really. I mean, I wanted to do a bit of sort of world building because that's actually one of the big peels of writing something. You can be self-indulgent a bit with world building. So it's a case of thinking of various factions. One example of the factions is some of them come from logical thought. You're thinking, okay, there's magicians. Let's have a bunch of very academic mission wizards and think, but no, right, let's make them all posh boys. And that's basically where the Council of Merlin came from. Uh, very much a boys' network until very, very recently. You know, with this monetary requirement of, I can't remember what it was, I say half a million pounds or something to join. It. it was something ridiculous. And so that led to that. I mean, there was obviously going to be some police involvement, hushing things up, putting things in. So that led to P Division. And then thinking about bits of folklore to do with Fay and bits of invention so the folklore you think okay the winter king this whole business what's going on over in the wilds of britain especially in the north and in scotland and that got twisted to become the winter king which is one of the fairy factions and it's that sort of thing again the vampires so the vampires they're nests of vampires they prey on people there's an overriding organisation. I thought, well, what if vampires were just that bit out of date and not with it? What do they think the way is to gain total control? Well, clearly, you know, the, the UK is a monarchy. What they need is control over the royal family. And that led to the sodality of the crown. And they're never going to realise that sort of ambition. And even if they do, it won't really uh, do what they think it does. Having a lot of fun with thinking of things like that. Yeah, and that, that's British as well. That sense of class runs through the factions, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I, I, once I realised I was doing that, I deliberately lent into it. One of my favourite lines in uh, P Division, because this is the off-the-books unit of the police. They're funded from the stationary budgets, aren't they? So they're kind of creaming off the stationary yeah. budgets of various uh, police forces. So. Yes, basically, yeah. I think that was told, I think at work, because I'm an academic, we were told at one stage, you're using too much chalk. But <laughs> <laughs> that's not that idea. <laughs> also, um, with P Division, it reminded me of a short running well i think it only ran for one season but uh, ultraviolet which was in ultraviolet the is definitely inspirational viewing there i mean obviously it's a different setup it's specifically you know vampires a special unit fighting the vampires but it was a great series i really did like it yeah it, 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 i think it only ran for six episodes didn't it but it, i think so yeah it was, it was channel four wasn't it i think was it channel four yeah, and uh, it had uh, Jack Davenport in it and uh, a young Idris Elba, didn't it? In Yes, that's right, yeah. Yes, yeah, so it was always Jack Davenport who was the star, wasn't he? But 
I think you're right. Young Idris Elba is very noticeable. Yes, and this whole area of urban horror, urban fantasy, is is that something that exploded in the 90s or are, are there things that predate that? I think you're right that things exploded in the 1990s with TV series such as, you know, I'm thinking Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I'm thinking, okay, you mentioned Ultraviolet. That was late 90s, I think, wasn't it, as well? Another British one would be Neverwhere, another single sort of six-episode thing. So it was a Neil Gaiman thing, but I think he got it from talking to Lenny Henry. And I think he was trying to make the whole thing a big sort of almost an analogy of homelessness and make it fantastic, but not also bring home that, you know, not to glamorise it. Right, yeah, of course, because um, I've played um, the quick start and the homeless, uh, you identify they're, they're the um, yeah, they are the hidden. Individual, don't they? Yeah, the hidden are almost neverwhere is a very clear inspiration there, I think. And coming down to books, so I'd say probably some of the earliest inspirations for this. And again, in novels, this exploded in the sort of 90s and later on. But probably some of the earliest novels the, of the current re- recent splurge of them, as it were. One would be the, do you know uh, the Hellblazer comics with John Constantine? No, I don't know those. No, that's sort of, I mean, there was, of course, a TV series as well of that on Amazon. Heavy smoking, scouser, ill-advised magician. And that goes back to 1985. It's very much rooted in its times. There's a lot of commentary on, say, Thatcherism, for example. The politics are really in your face there. It's all the better for it, I think, for me. Definitely an artefact from the 1980s. Other early novels, Emma Bull's War for the Oaks, which is, I can't remember, I think that's like late 1980s. That's sort of the American idea of urban sort of fantasy. You know, there's a city, there's hidden factions of fae going on, and it's very much a British folkloric type of fairy. I mean, I think my problem with that is even in my 30s, I think it was when I first read that, it had a character called Willie Silver, who I had trouble taking seriously. (laughs) I reverted back to being a teenager. Other early books would be Moonheart, which is Charles DeLint. So he did huge numbers of sort of urban fantasy novels. He's He's a Canadian author. But that was his first, and that's 1984. One that's brought more pure horror involving being abducted by fairies is one called fairy tale by raymond feist so those are the 1980s novels more modern novels i could give you big lists and lists of series and things like that if you want i could also say consult the bibliography of liminal if you wanted to do that as well for some reason it's a massive gap in my reading and watching for some reason i've steered away from them and maybe that's the reason why I haven't been drawn to uh, Liminal, but now that I'm in it, I'm kind of intrigued by it and want to yeah. discover more. I mean, there's there's lots of people, there's lots of grognards who seem to have got into it, I think, because of the British element of it. One thing I certainly do, first of all, so I gave you the sort of easy pitches, but one thing to do is take literally anywhere and look at the local history, look at the local folklore. So every village in the country virtually has a church that's nearly a thousand years old, which is kind of incredible when you stop and think about it. So there is stuff going on there. There's weird landscape features. There's landscape features where it's like, oh, yes, look at that dish in the landscape. Oh, yes, that was scooped out by a giant. Oh, was it? Okay, that's the folktale. Things like that to just play with, play around with that idea. And then I think things come quite naturally. I, I think it's inspired to use the phrase liminal as well. Liminal spaces element is something that's definitely been interesting to me for a while. Not just so much airports as liminal space, but saying people at places, I don't know, little borders between countries and things like that. And yeah, extending that to that is really fun. And of course, the adventures in liminal do go on really between the borders between the supernatural and the normal worlds. I, locally, I have a canal that I walk down every night uh, and... I always get inspiration from that because of the people who live on there, the wildlife I see uh, there. And you just think this is just something that's between two very industrial towns of the past. Um, but this is a little sanctuary, but it also has a history of its own 
that is waiting to be revealed or it's concealing really and the actual building of it as well so you're right everything has its own story hasn't it and it's really fun playing with that and revealing it and using it whether it's like say canals industrial landscapes or things that were industrial and now sort of post-industrial possibly there's a process of gentrification possibly there's still abandoned buildings that's interesting from that point of view anything that's squeezed out there things squeezed out bits of countryside that are left by being squeezed out by industry yeah that stuff's great it's idea fodder interesting pubs right pubs are good you give really good advice uh, just picking up on that theme but it's one of the strong points of the rule book is the advice you give on building uh, cases thanks yeah and i think that's a good idea because you can start off with that advice you can build things with that fairly rigid structure i've set out in the book and then you can start branching out from that once you're comfortable with it and there's a range of uh, supplementary uh, materials if somebody was starting out which are the books that you would go for because i've got werewolves of britain which um, i'm enjoying yeah. reading and you have to say as well that the artwork is superb i am um, i was very lucky working with jason benker the artist for this and having that sort of unified artist throughout the whole thing yeah you're right he's brilliant and he he gets it and that very much sets the tone of it isn't it and this werewolves of britain Again, it's, there's loads of um, ideas of hooks. It just develops the um, faction, really, doesn't it? And uh, where they may emerge and gives you some ideas of where it's quite it's quite a slim book, but it's packed with uh, packed with stuff. And are, are there any others that I should be uh, going towards? The newest one that's come out is Case Notes, which is the collection of individual scenarios with some ideas of linking them together. You know, by my, by me and others. I mean, you could also pick them up in individual PDFs for, I think, one or two pound each, if there's any particular ones you take take your fancy. Or you can get the collected book. Pax Londinium is, if you're, well, if you're interested in setting things around London, is an obvious one. So the next thing coming out for Liminal is Fairies and Folklore. Jason is doing the art for that at the moment. After that, it's Nova Castria, basically set around Newcastle and around County Durham. And that's nice right why have everything in london is, is that going to have lots of bridges in it and trolls that's what horse there's going to be lots of bridges and trolls <laughs> before we leave I, I want to talk about mechanics because that is something that you enjoy isn't it and we've talked a lot about the setting what interests you about game design is the mechanics isn't it how the rules make these things work i mean i like mechanics being tied in to the setting or at least tied in to what you're doing in the setting that seems sort of quite important to me. I also want them to be simple enough that people can grasp them, but also simple enough they're not doing anything that annoys me, right? That's, yes. my, that's my bar for a game I'll read it and think, oh, this is a cool setting. You're doing cool stuff here. Do the mechanics do anything which annoy me? I do like to have some, at least some small way of manipulating the dice a little bit after the roll to smooth out luck. Hmm. So that's essentially where it was going from. So I did initially have playing with much more complicated ideas, but again, the 2d6 roll and then spending will to boost the results just seems to work with there. And I'll go where my maths came in is basically, well, what's the target numbers you want to have this running at the sort of degree of success that seems appropriate? The will becomes quite a important resource. It certainly did in the quick start that I yeah, it's, ran. It's, yeah, when there's a lot of punishing things going on or just bad luck, being careful with will and almost choosing to fail things is pretty important it certainly gets important with the players especially when there's combat going on many of the traits are triggered by will aren't they so yeah people want to fun. hold that back don't they yeah so anything that's sort of magical you're spending will on essentially a lot of the time like you say it becomes sort of the resource to manage really if you're doing that the importance of the crew as well that has um, mechanical elements to it as well i wanted the crew to be important in the game so again i had the idea of well some choices you're making as a group to almost bring the players together as the group when you're making those choices i mean the other thing is of course there's different types of crew different things you're doing are you a sort of supernatural investigation business or are you some sort of if you like sort of secret division of the police those are different things and they're going to lead to different scenarios but the other thing i'll say with the crew is that one th i wanted that element of i suppose found family to be important in the game because the people in the game are their liminals ordinary society 
knowing all this other stuff's out there, that makes it hard to cope. But also, if they're maintaining humanity, they're not going to go you know, fully into the supernatural factions. So it's a case of trying to maintain a foot in both camps and basically finding other people like them to work with. Yeah, and it gives reasons for the different archetypes to be together, doesn't it? And because there's quite a range yeah, of them, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, because why would a magician be working with a werewolf? Don't have you need that you need that reasoning there. Yeah. So it, it's a fantastic game and I'm looking forward to getting more into it and uh, developing a campaign. I've got these ideas um set in and around Manchester that I'm uh, developing. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. So thank you for um, guiding me through some of the areas of it. Thank you very much, Paul. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Like I said, I feel like I've made it now. I've sort of <laughs> life ambition checked off. Oh, get me caught. Welcome back. We're now in the Zoom of role-playing rambling. Hello there, Blythe. You're back. And we're heading towards the door. Yes, hello, Dirk. I'm back. But I'm putting my coat on. We're heading towards the door. We can't quite bring this podcast to an end. So we're heading towards the door. We've got some closing time chatter, some any other business. So what's yours? What's what's occupying your brain at the moment? What's occupying my brain is the Dungeon Crawl Classics Dying Earth box set, which I acquired um, a few weeks ago. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't order it from America because I, I, I can't remortgage my house for the postage. Dying Earth, and obviously I, I was very tempted to, yeah. It's just because of the dying earth thing. Yes. And we've been yeah. playing a bit of Dungeon Crawl Classic. So the first question is, how does it do dying earth? It's interesting to compare it to the DCC Lankmar box set because the Lankmar one doesn't change the game very much, I would say. It has a few new rules in it about healing without clerics and things like that. But the dying earth one changes it quite a bit more in that it introduces new character classes, which the Langmar one doesn't really do. The Langmar one just uses your conventional character classes. So it has magicians in. They're a bit like wizards, obviously, but they um, it operates slightly differently. They reconfigure the magic system a bit. It is like the fancy and fire and forget thing, but it has sort of extra rules about learning magic and how you learn stuff and how things work. Um, and it has uh, wayfarers who are kind of like travellers, a bit like rogues, travellers. And it has witches as well, which is as magic for witches, which is, again, interesting, like curses and stuff like that. Um, and most, most interesting of all, and the most fun of all, it has VAT things. So there's a character oh. class, VAT thing. So you can play a VAT thing that's been grown in a VAT by a magician, which, of course, you remember from the, the books. Uh, so that's quite good fun. So it, But it, it does kind of alter the... It doesn't alter the game as, as such. It's not like a different game, obviously, but it, it reconfigures it a bit, if you see what I mean, for the Dying Earth. A bit more than the Lankmar one. Um, it does quite a few changes. A bit more to get your head around, I think. And it has a, a nice rule of a grudge, things called grudge tokens. So when you fail a roll badly, if you get a one, you get a grudge token because you, of your level of embarrassment in front of your, your fellow adventurers. And, you know, the idea that you're kind of embarrassed and they laugh at you slightly. So I think very vancing, you know, you're, like, you're, you're kind of uh, humiliated. So you get a grudge yeah. token which you can play against another player later on to make them fail a role. And make oh, that's good. Well, can make that's very, yeah. Like the idea, you made a fool of yourself. So you harbour a grudge against your fellow adventurers, and later on you can make one of them fail a role, which is a that's very handsome thing, isn't it? Kind of, you know, the yeah. pride of adventurers are very slightly pompous. Like they are in uh, in, in, in uh, the Dying Earth, there is that thing, isn't there, that everyone has a very high opinion of themselves, you know. That, yeah, um, particularly Kugel, uh, who's like the main character of uh, Eyes of the Old World and Kugel's Saga. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so as rules like that. So it's, it's quite, uh, it, it's, it's very, very appealing, actually, very good. Uh, and I think as well, what's interesting, and again, I said this about the Lankmar thing, you realise when you read Dying Earth setting how influential it is in role-playing, the, the beginnings of role-playing. I, I mean, people often talk about it, don't they, that D&D, fancy and magic in D&D and that kind of thing, which is obviously the obvious thing. But there is, in the diner setting, you, re, you realise that some of the monsters from D&D, the weird monsters in D&D, 
Ardbury Vansian, the Visp, for example, is very reminiscent of uh, Umberhulks in D&D. You can see kind of parallels, some of these monsters that are in D&D, early D&D. So like Displacer Beasts, for example. Although they're not in the Dying Earth, they wouldn't be out of place in the Dying Earth. Yeah. It, yeah. It kind of reminds you, although you know it, it reminds you that, you know, people bang on about Tolkien. Not very DD, it's not very Tolkien esque at all. It's very advanced. Yeah. Not in the magic system, but in the whole shtick. It's good that you say that because it's a bit of a disconnect for me because when you say dungeon crawl classics, you think of dungeon crawling. And yeah. dungeon crawling is just the opposite to me. The Vantian stories. Vantian stories are about uh, picaresque encounters with mm. strange people in unusual circumstances, yeah. rather than going down deep into the uh, world finding things. So, uh, does, does it deal with that? What What are the adventures like? Well, I'm going to I'll be running. I'm going to be running one of the adventures for for Morpcom in um, in Manchester in a few weeks. I'm doing the the funnel. Don't 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 switch off. I've said the word funnel. Don't 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 fall asleep. The book, uh, the Pilgrims of the Black Obelisk, and it, it's interesting what you say about encounters because that is an adventure where you play zero level pilgrims on your way to this city to worship, invo- involve yourself in certain rituals for this long forgotten god and it is a it is a journey with encounters and the encounters are exactly what you just said these kind of picaresque characters and unusual characters and situations that you find yourself in on a journey and that is very advancing it's not it's not a dungeon it's not a crawl in a dungeon it's not that at all it's a journey with various encounters that are Keely, unusual and eccentric. It brings out that vancing flavour. What, what I found, to, to my surprise, is that when the Grog Squad, so some of the Grog Squad, discovered uh, Jack Vance through listening mm. to the podcast, you know, because in previous episodes we've covered Leoness and we do tend to pepper our conversations with references to Vance. There's quite a few people who've, to use the expression, bounced hard off it. So it'd be interesting to see whether it actually gets any traction bounced hard what's, what's, yeah. what's that mean bounced hard off it is that a hard agree it, yeah it's like a version of hard agree yeah it's like they found some of it quite repellent and oh, okay. out of step with modern sensibilities which i can see because it's got its basis in the cruelty of fairy tales hasn't it and some of those fairy tale archetypes are about old yeah. power structures yeah, there is, and and this uh, the adventures, um, or at least the one the red. Yeah, they do. I don't want to give too much away because someone may end up playing. I mean, this may be released before I've run the Pilgrims of the Black Obelisk, but there are, yeah, there are definitely those kind of cruel, yeah, fairy tale type things going on in it that are quite cruel. Which which for relaxed about in a zero level game where it's a funnel way playing four characters. So as a gaming master you think I'm gonna be old scouts on doesn't matter. But yeah, it definitely does have that sort of cruel twist. I wouldn't say I don't think there's anything in it that upsets modern sensibilities. I can, I can see that the books might because they're of the time, that kind of thing. Uh, the game the game doesn't do that. I think things like that are sort of eradicated or or pushed aside. But there is that sense of, yes, cruelty and trickery and those kind of things are there, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm wrestling with a similar thing because I've got off the shelf uh, Twilight 2000, which I got as a Kickstarter. So I didn't get it from Leisure Games. I went all in. I went in big style. I got it in a biscuit tin, the top level thing, and instantly regretted it as soon as it arrived because... I think I've mentioned before that I looked at it and it just, my eyes just glided off it. I found it very unappealing and it's just sat there. So in order to persuade myself to do it, I've actually put it down in the calendar for Elburn, the Wizard Staff Convention game that I'm going to run. So I know that I've got to get my head around it and I've started looking at it. And it is that thing of balancing the sensibility because that's the bit that I was struggling with because... It goes for a sort of realism that mm. I can't quite tolerate, and it's particularly when it comes to like military realism. Uh, and that was that was what I didn't like about the old game, and it's slightly different with the newer game because it is more of a 
a narrative type and they've got a bit more crunch in it for using the year zero engine but it's still it's still grounded in authenticity and trying to put you in situations that are like a military squad and i found it found it difficult but i found a way into it over the last few weeks because i watched black hawk down and i thought of course it can just be like a war movie yeah yeah you could do that could yeah that's the way to do it isn't it i suppose yeah it's not a simulation of real war which might be slightly unpalatable to people but yeah do it like a war movie the fine line of war movie some a good war movie treads between being a war movie and giving some other kind of insight into real war situations black Hawk down probably does reasonably well doesn't it it's a, yeah well, based on based on a real situation isn't it but, yeah. but equally when you watch it you think well he's a movie and, and it's hyper real isn't it it it, mm. it kind of the intensity of it is dramatic it's all about the drama it's all about the characters and about the situations that they're in not necessarily a reflection on the terrible thing of war and people having to be put in these terrible positions, which may be dramatically interesting, but I'm not sure as I want it in a game. Yeah, it's a funny thing, isn't it, with, you know, most role-playing games involve a degree of violence um, and horror and that kind of thing, but the, there's that fine line, isn't it, between it being like a book, like a movie, and it feeling sort of that it's trying to emulate reality in some way. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, a bit close to uh, close to reality, isn't it? It's that kind of thing I always think when, when people are frightened or horrified by horror movies, I always think, why? The news is the worst horror film you can watch, isn't it? I suppose it's like yeah. that in role-playing games, the, the nearer you get to something that feels real, the, the trickier it becomes. No, it's not necessarily a... Not necessarily a bad thing, but it, but it, I think it's tricky to run. So I've decided to add another layer to it as well. So I'm a big fan of the Morrow Project, which is a game from, I think we played the first edition, didn't we, in the late mm-hmm. 70s. And that premise is a science fiction premise that you know Morrow put these people into cryogenic storage with the idea of um, repopulating the world and preserving uh, civilization after a, a nuclear bomb and the uh what that brings is there's like a separation because it they were expecting to come a few years after the bomb but in actual fact because of reasons it's 150 years after the bomb so things have progressed somewhat it hasn't got quite the same there's, a, there's like a level a distance that i need really to just uh, enjoy it rather than it being too terrifying it makes it slightly more sci-fi, I suppose, doesn't it? You know? Fictionalizes it, puts a fictional, yeah. fictional yes. gloss on it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not being set in, yeah, it's not being set kind of now in Europe in the near future. I say that's the biggest problem I'm trying to deal with, but really the biggest problem I'm trying to deal with is resisting the urge of buying some model soldiers and actually laying it out on the table with a tank, with a tight tank. With- with an actual tank, yeah. I expect you to do that. I, I, I want to say, when I'm at Elba, I want to glance over at your table and see Thai soldiers and a tank. All right? And if you don't, I'll be disappointed. I'll be disappointed in you. It's just, it's, you know, that's your opportunity, isn't it, to do that? Enhance your game considerably. Not that it needs enhancing. It might do. Yeah. I'm used to disappointing you, by the Anyway, that's a so, uh, that's another podcast, isn't it? That's another, yeah, that's another topic altogether. <laughs> yeah. All right, then. I'll see you soon. Goodbye. There isn't another bit. Thanks to Paul for spending some time to discuss Liminal. It's always fun spending time with him. Many people keep telling me that their setting is versatile and the fun is about pushing and exploring your own lines of inquiry. If you want to witness this process in action, then I urge you to listen to Dave Patterson's Frankenstein's RPG podcast. In Series 3, it has taken a departure from its usual format, and instead of constructing a game from the component parts of others, it's working with collaborators to generate a campaign. The panellists are using Liminal to create a campaign that touches upon all the places along the A1, the Great North Road in England. 
originally created by Romans and cussing across a multitude of legends and lore. Over recent days, I've been doing a bit of planning for the book club. This is the Grognard Files monthly meeting where we discuss the different topic every month. You can find details on the site, thegrognardfiles.com. Over the coming months, we have a discussion about Diceman, the book about the origins of Games Workshop, another session about zines, a special meeting with Jeff Richard joining us in October to discuss the King of Saltar and the new cult books that have come out for RuneQuest. The discussions are always light, yet insightful. You can choose your own level of participation, so I hope that you'll come along to one. It's also the time of year when the tickets for Grogme in Manchester in November go on sale. They'll be released to patrons first before going on general sale. Again, see the grognardfiles.com site for details. Thanks to all the patrons who continue to make this podcast possible due to the tips that they throw into the hat each month. They cover the costs and fund projects and generally encourage us to keep going even when the kettle is broken. There's been a number of comings and goings, but thanks to all the patrons past and present, as it makes a big difference to us. If you want to support the Grog Pod, then please pass it on and help us to find new people to speak to. Reviews are fantastic too, as they help those machines learn stuff about us. And who knows, maybe some chatbot will incorporate these bobbins into an essay about the meaning of life. Thank you to the following new patrons. Ronald Easterday Michael Spenley Stephen Lee Benjamin Klein Confusing Trousers and Barry Ryan For those who are joining at the sofa so good level, I like to roll on a random table and give them a virtual gift as a way of thanks. This time I'm turning to liminal and I'm going to go to the traits, which are not normally available to PCs, but one day only, the following hidden can have these special effects. That's a five to Joseph Heckel, who can now appear human. Jerry Knuckle. Oh, he's got a fairy tongue. Or in Bolton, a furry tongue which is something completely different. Robbie Wilson is a poltergeist. And Wheat Squid, oh, invisible. Thank you to everyone. That's the first part of our liminal adventure. Next time, we'll be talking to the author, C.K. MacDonnell, about his The Stranger Times series of novels set in paranormal Manchester for a bit of local liminal inspiration. And Blythe and I will be putting our wig on at the pub after watching 70s classic The Children of Stones. Until then, adios amigos. Mm.